And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Our Father, as we seek to begin uh, a long walk through the Gospel of John, we pray that your Spirit, who inspired these words so many years ago, with a wisdom deeper than any of us can perceive, we pray that he illumines our minds even this morning as we begin. We thank you that in eternity past, we are not left with just a veiled fog of an idea. We are left with definitive statements of who you are and what you have done. We thank you that you did not leave this formless and void world in the dark, nor did you leave it lifeless. But you brought in every corner and every place of this world life and light a grace that it did not deserve. Father, by extension, we see the same thing in our Christian lives. We see a newness of life and a light to glory in the things of your word, things that we did not deserve, but things that you have freely given of your grace. We pray, Father, as we look into this passage this morning, that you help us not only to understand complexity, but to love your word, to love what it does, and to love who you are. We do pray this in your son's name, the word of God himself. Amen. It is hard to miss in the opening passage of the Gospel of John the parallels that we find between this and Genesis. If you're familiar with Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you will be overly familiar with the presence of the beginning of both life and light anywhere in the created order. What John is showing us is that did not begin in Genesis. Life belonged to God. Light belonged to God. And when we see that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, it should teach us something about what we hope in. It should teach us about what to look for. If you were looking for the Messiah, or if you were looking for the, the ultimate God, even of the philosophers, if you were looking for the God that created this world, he is found in Christ himself. If you were looking for an understanding of why this world works the way it does, how it was created, by whom it created, why it is sustained, the answer is Christ. Today, tomorrow, yesterday, and forevermore. And here is where John starts. He doesn't start with the incarnation. He doesn't start with Jesus becoming flesh. He doesn't start with any of these things. He starts way before this, before the world began. And he does it in one of the most fantastic ways that anywhere else in Scripture is seen. We do have limits in our language, so today I will have just one Greek term for you. I'm not even going to give it to you. It doesn't matter. I'm going to explain to you 
on one concept. And when I bring that up, don't think that that's going to be the norm throughout it. I will be referring to that concept all throughout. Don't be overcome by that. There's differences between our languages. This one is so important and so central that it has to be brought up to it. And I want you to see it because here it is in the first phrase, in the first verse. In the beginning was the word. Our language is sorely lacking at this point. The word was in English is simple and it's insufficient. Was just simply is a particle referring to the past. Something is today, something was yesterday, something will be tomorrow. It's a simple past tense, not in Greek, not at this point. A lot of the places that you see where was shows up in Greek is just the normal one, just like us. It's just a past tense of something. This is an ongoing, always existing past tense, and it's rare, crazy rare. And the fact that John uses it all throughout this passage and will not use the normal one until we see the word becoming flesh and entering time is simply remarkable. Whenever you see in the first 13 verses here, the past tense that we translate to was referring to the word or referring to life being in the word, you must understand that the picture that's happening is that this is set in the past in an ongoing eternal sense. And so when it says in the beginning was the word, it means in the beginning the eternally existing word already was existing. Meaning he did not have his start in the beginning of the world. He himself was already there when the beginning happened. When you open Genesis 1-1 and you read the identical terms in the Greek translation, NRK, when you read the exact terms in the beginning, you should be hearing that that is the beginning of life and light in this world not in the person of the word, not in the being God. God already was existing. Anyone who has read the Old Testament already knows this about God the Father. But what we are learning and what we are continuing to be taught is that what applies to God the Father as God and deity applies directly to the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're going to sit here for just a little bit because it's one of the most complex languages, or one of the most complex sentences in Greek. Why does he choose Word? Why does he tell us this? Why can't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus? One, that's not accurate. Jesus is the Son's name in the Incarnation. He was not Jesus until he was incarnate in the Virgin Mary. That was not his beginning. His beginning is non-existent. There is no beginning of the second person of the Trinity. The Son of God existed when the world was not here. And so when the world began, the Word already was. Why the word? 
The word I'm sure you will be familiar with, logos, is the same concept that we get words logic and things like this from, but it, it has more to do than that. This is the expression of God. This is the, extra, the, the expression of how he goes out and creates things. When God goes out to create light into the world, what does he do? Does he fashion it with his hands, or does his word go out and create? Let there be light. His word itself goes out and creates everything. His word goes out and accomplishes all of these things. In the Old Testament sense, that's pretty simplistic. But when we come to the revelation of Jesus Christ, we learn that that word was not an impersonal sound. We learn that the word of God through whom God created all things has personality. And has distinction from God. Look at the next phrase. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You say, well, that makes some sense. The Word was with God, that's great, but now we have this eternally existing Word living with God. Sounds good. Look at the next phrase if you want some confusion. And the Word was God. How can that be possible? How can it be possible that the Word both was with God and the Word is God? Much has been made over this, and with good reason. The word was with God expresses an interpersonal relationship between God and the word. Two different persons. The word was God expresses a whole nother side of this. All that makes God God also applies to the word. Which means while there are distinct persons between the father and the son who is the word, there's also complete unity of identification a complete unity of deity. Throughout the history of theology, we refer to the doctrine of the Trinity, and we use this as the starting point to talk about this. A lot of reasons for that. Let me explain to you. A lot of misconceptions about the Trinity pass around the church. And so let me at least help define this a little bit. It is usually tried to push off as God is both three and one. That is incorrect. God is not a paradox. God is not both one and three. God is not one person and three persons. God, there's not one God and three gods, none of this. Let me give you the doctrine of the Trinity in collapsed form. There is one God, and he has always and for all eternity existed in three persons. One being, three persons. The easiest way to hear this and remember it is one what and three who's. When you run into somebody in this world, you run into a single being who is a single person. Dave, if I run into you, you're one being. How many persons are you? One. There's a chair sitting in the back. Does it exist? It's one being, right? Any persons? Nope. One being, zero persons. One being, one persons. God, the only thing in all the world. One being, three persons. And so there's no other way to talk about that 
except the exact way that John refers to this. The Word, being the second person of the Trinity, both was with God in the Trinity and was God. It is a qualitative sense. The Word is God as much as God is God, and the Word was with God, and the fact that there's an interpersonal relationship here. And so if we have interpersonal relationship, then we should have personal identification. Look at the opening of verse 2. He. The Word is not merely an expression going out from God, but has full personality, has full identity. He was in the beginning with God. And he was God. Everything that applies to the nature of deity applies to the Son of God. Everything that applies to the Father, as far as for deity is concerned, applies to the Son, creator of the world, divine, eternal, powerful, creator, life, light, and every other thing. All of these attributes are wrapped up in the Son of God before the Incarnation ever was, before the world was, before anything in the universe even came into being. There we have God with multiple persons. He was in the beginning with God. And in case there's any lack of clarity here, The Word being the full manifestation of the expression of God, being God is also a distinct person through whom all things were made. When we look, if you traveled back 2,000 years and looked into the eyes of Jesus of Nazareth, you would be interacting with the very person who created the world. The very person who made everything. In fact, there's not a single thing in all the created universe that was made that did not come through him. Isn't that simply a remarkable thing to make statement over? This is written by the Apostle John. He walked with him. He knew him personally. And he is so flabbergasted by the realities of these things that he states that in a later passage here in this same section, we beheld his glory. We actually saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we were walking with him, we were walking with the one who walked this earth before anyone was. Who stood in the heavens before they existed. Look at verse 3. All things were made through the Word, were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. When we look out into this world, we see something completely different. I, I count it as an absolute blessing that we live in a time where we're able to view what other planets look like. It wasn't but two or three generations ago when there was all sorts of theories that there was life everywhere else and it was just different in form and in kind. But as we go and we find out, we go to Venus or we go to Mercury or we go to Mars, what do we find out? Lifeless and void. Not even plants. Nothing. 
We go to the moons around the other gas giants. What do we find? Lifeless and void. And then we come back here and we see a special part of God's revelation. This created world. Life and light and health and beauty and intention and cycles of life and cycles of weather and cycles of the way that the world works. Every single piece of it a gift. Every single part of it a mesmerizing expression of who the Word is. And so when you look into the eyes of Jesus of Nazareth, understand there's something far greater than your eyes behold going on there. He had no form or comeliness by which we should desire him, and yet he is the source of all life and of all things. There is nothing in all the world, not one rock, not one tree, not one cloud or molecule that existed that did not come through him. That is a remarkable way to start the gospel story. And do not miss anything. The gospel of John is written as one of the most evangelistic of all four gospels. It is meant to talk to somebody who does not believe. It is meant to talk to somebody who thinks that they have all the answers. It is meant to talk to somebody who thinks that whether through philosophy or obedience or any other such thing, that they can find life in themselves. And here, John says, no, all life belongs to the one who walked among us. All life and all light, all reason, all intellect, all creation, everything belongs to him. All glory, laud, honor, everything belongs to him. And so if you think you have found life outside of Christ, you are mistaken. You have found death masquerading as life. You have found darkness masquerading as light. You have found wisdom. But in reality, foolishness. Life, but in reality, death. Freedom, but in reality, slavery. This is what the scriptures teach us. This is what the person of Christ shows us. Verse 4. The same terminology. In him was existing life. In him was life. Not because the world needed life. Not because you and I needed to live, but because that is the nature of our God. He is a life-giving God. In fact, one of the main terminologies, one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is to be the life-giver. Because life comes from no other. Life comes from no other being Life comes to no other person than who God is bringing it to. Let me ask you this question. Did Adam ask to be made from the dust of the ground? That seems a pretty simple question. Did Adam ask to be made from the dust of the ground? No. 
Did he desire to be one in whom the breath of life existed? No. Why is it God did this? Was it because God was lacking something? No. God did this because it is his nature to love and to give life. Where God is, there life exists. Where God is, there light exists. And it should not be lost on us that Christ, through the rest of the Gospel of John, will refer to all of these things. I am the light of the world. I am the path, the truth, and the life. There is nobody who comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because you were created through me. And there is no way that you could possibly find life, light, purpose, or anything outside of me. No way. Not anywhere in the creation. You know why he can say that? Because it's his creation. And if it's his creation, scratch that, since it's his creation, you are obligated to find life only in him. This is why the gospel is not a suggestion. It is a command. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to save your eternal soul. Why? Because life is found in no other. We live in a society that claims that it is finding life and meaning and purpose and wisdom in something other than Christ. We live in a society of death. Unless it comes from Christ, it is death. Because here in the same terms, life was already existing in him before the world was. Life comes only from God. You want to know what the life is? Look at this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Mankind, we have come to know, after the fall, loves the darkness. Mankind loves the darkness. Mankind now almost proudly defines himself by his vices and his sins. And it pains Christians to live in a world that we see is so bent towards death, destruction, and darkness. But my friends, it is there that the light shines the brightest. It is there that people know the need of the gospel because they see desperation everywhere else. We will not find comfortable life here. We will only find ultimate comfort with Christ. This is why we see all over Scripture when Christ, who is your life, appears. You also appear with him in glory. We even see in the prophets beforehand the expressions of Emmanuel who will come, the child who will be born, will bear on himself something of this nature. In fact, I want you to see that because not many people make this connection. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll be back in John 1, so keep your finger there. Isaiah chapter 9. 
what John is teaching is not new concepts. What he is doing is he is explaining the way it has always been. Certain truths were veiled in the Old Testament. But Christ brought us the fulfillment of revelation, especially in his apostles. But I want you to see one of these early whispers of this 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah chapter 9, since I don't hear the rustle, I'm assuming you're all there. We'll read verses 2 through 7. Look at this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Looking forward to the future. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, and look at these terms, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How is it this will be accomplished? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Behold the prophecy of the son before he came. Seven centuries beforehand. How much did Isaiah understand that this would be fulfilled? How much did he understand? Not enough that we weren't still thoroughly surprised. When God walked among us, we beheld something in the face of just simply a child that grew up to be a man, that grew in wisdom and stature, however that is possible. This is the one that the people walking in darkness would try to overcome, and yet light where death would try to have his best shot at him, and yet life. All of these things were sought after him, and what is it that John expresses to them? These things, these aspects of who God is showed up in the person of Christ. And it surprised all of them. It surprised all of them. They were not looking for this exact thing. They were looking for temporal life and temporal light, hope for a time, reason for living, wisdom to carry out my life well. And what Christ gave us was so much more than we were asking for. This was not merely the expression of God. He is God. Walking on the streets of Palestine 2,000 years ago. And John has spent his whole life wrestling with this. If you're not familiar, the Gospel of John is written towards the end of his life. Most of the time when it's depicted that the disciples are all with Jesus, they're all like the same age, somewhere 30s, 40s, maybe 45 or something. John was a teenager. 
16, 17, maybe, when he was called by Christ. He is now in his 70s or 80s, writing the Gospel of John. After an entire life of watching the first two generations of the church start, he looks back and says, you must understand what we saw, what our hands handled, to take his words from 1 John chapter 1, concerning the word of life himself. This is the same John who saw Elijah and Moses and Christ in all his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. He has no qualms about who he's talking about. And when he says the word of God himself came and not only was with God in the beginning, but was God and always had been God and always will be God, stepped into time, stepped into our world, an eternal God stepping into time. How does that work? I don't know. My mind is so enslaved to thinking of time, and so is yours. We can't even conceive of this. You say, how is it that life could be wrapped up into a singular person? I don't know. But what God expresses about himself, what Jesus says of himself when he's walking here is, all truth, all life is in me. I am the light of the world. There is no other light by which to walk. There is no other person to look for. There's no other answer. There's no other shepherd. There's no other bread. There's no other God. And when he calls God his father, he is equating himself and making himself equal with God. And this is why the Jewish priests in John chapter 5 were seeking to kill him. Those who say that Jesus never claimed to be God do not know what the Gospel of John is teaching. He claims to be God on over a dozen occasions. All the time he is expressing of himself who he is and what he is here to do, and people would rather walk in the dark. And people would rather walk devoted to this life alone. People loved their sinful deeds so much that they did not even want for salvation. This is why, again, the gospel is not a suggestion, but a command. It is not a suggestion because nobody will pick it up unless God is calling them, unless God is saving them. When you became aware that God was saving you, that was not where that work started. God had you in mind before he made the world. Do you know what freedom that brings, Christian? That God knew you by name before he spun the galaxies? Do you know our God? Do you know how far his thoughts have gone into this world? how much into the plan of redemption he plotted the way. He created an entire nation from scratch out of a promise to a single man and woman, Abraham and Sarah, to a single promise, to a single son, and through them would bless all the nations of the world. How? Because you have an offspring coming, singular offspring. 
This people group brought in to bring the Messiah into the world. And then, surprise to everyone, it wasn't just light and life to the people of Israel, but it was salvation for all people across the world. All people groups, all nations, all tribes, all tongues find salvation, life, and light in this one who is the word of God himself. When we are told that we live not on bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, when we are told that the very reason why God sent manna in the desert was to teach them that they cannot live on bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. When Jesus, in his temptation, is confronted in the midst of starvation with his ability to turn rocks into bread, a legitimate ability, by the way, which he certainly had, he quotes that passage. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We shorten that in our translations, but by every word of the Lord. My friends, the gospel is no different. Your life is not sustained by food alone. Do you know this? You could eat and drink and your heart be merry. You could take care of your health, all the vitamins and supplements you can imagine. And if Christ for a moment did not sustain the breath in your lungs, you would immediately perish. Tomorrow is promised to nobody. We are learning this in our society more and more as the days go on. This is why the gospel proclamation must always come to the people who have not found life in Christ. And why we will be spending all of this time in the gospel of John, because it comes to every man, every woman, every child, and says, if you think you can live without Christ, you will certainly die. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you will certainly do so. For those of us who have placed our faith in this word, for those of us who have placed our faith on Christ, when we perish, what dies? For now, the body. But our life is hidden away with Christ. And Christ, who is our life, will one day appear again. And our bodies will be raised from the dead again. And so we will ever live with the Lord. This is the promise of the gospel. That we will forever walk in the newness of life with our Savior. That we will walk in his light the book of Revelation even says there's not even need for a sun or a moon anymore because the Lord himself is its light. Do you know what it means to walk with our Lord? Do you know what it means to live forever? It is not just life without end. It is life with God. 
In Christ, we have been brought into the fellowship of the Trinity himself. You must understand, we are called by a name that is not our own. We are called by a new name. One that cannot be taken away from us, no matter what suffering comes our way, no matter what threats pose upon our life. The gospel is impenetrable and our lives are indestructible, not because death doesn't exist, but because we walk with the one who is life himself. And as he lives, my friends, we too will one day live. He is our light and he is our life. Look at this in the last bit. He explains it to us. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness, I'll add a paraphrase, though it has tried since the very beginning, has not overtaken it. It is easy in a world of darkness, sin, and death to become despondent, but Christian, take heart. The darkness, though it makes advances, will not prevail. Sin, though it makes its advances, will never survive. When we see the end, it is not just those who have committed sins that are thrown into the lake of fire. It is sin and death itself thrown into the fire. There is life that cannot be destroyed in Christ. There is light that cannot be blotted out in Christ. We are partakers of that here through a glass dimly and through a life partially. But then when we see face to face, we will have a life that cannot be taken away, will not be taken away with no threat left. And we will have a light by which all of us will walk. And we will see where we are going. Right now, my friends, it is sufficient for us to have the scriptures. And what are they? But a light merely to our path. So that we can look down and see where our steps are going. But it doesn't light for us a hundred steps ahead. And it doesn't really light for us the entire world. It's this dim look. And we focus where we are. And we have the scriptures. And it shows us where we ought to go. What we ought to love. What we ought to desire. Can you imagine the glory that comes from seeing the word of God affect our life in this way be the norm throughout the entire universe. This is what the promises of God will accomplish. This is what is in the person of Christ. And for John to sit down and say, you want to know how much he has changed? Let's go back to as far back as our minds can go. And there our logic stops. We can only go back to the beginning. We can't even cross into that non-time, non-space place that ever was beforehand. We can't, but the word is. We can't, but God is. We won't, but God will be. And thus, so we will be. Our faith is placed on this person. And when I say the church needs to be focused on Christ, I'm not just talking about his incarnation. I am talking about the compendium of everything that he is, is our delight. Church, you are his bride. Do you really think he will forget you? Church, 
You are the focus of the creation. Do you really think God will leave us to be? Church, you are the joy set before him on the cross. Do you really think he will abandon his own? Church, your names are recorded in heaven. There is nothing anyone on earth can do. Church, they can only harm the body. They can only harm the body. We have one who can harm body and soul. And we walk with the one who has given life not only to our souls, but one day to our bodies. There is a wisdom in the church's history of putting graveyards next to churches. Our fellowship does not end at the grave. You and I will forever walk with the Lord in a new heavens and a new earth. A place in which righteousness is not just the norm, but the only. And there is no unrighteousness, no suffering, no tears, no sin, no death, no darkness. Don't set your hopes here. Set them on Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, you have given us a tremendous foundation for the church. Christ, our cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets, the foundation stones in either direction. And all of us living stones in this temple that you are constructing from peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues. All to praise our one God. Father, we pray that as our, our minds come to your word, it changes us the way that you have affected it to do so. We know that your word does not fail, and for this we are eternally grateful. We know that Christ does not fail, and for this we are eternally grateful. We thank you, Father that he is now the delight of our hearts. I pray if those who have not found salvation are even within the sound of my voice, I pray you bring salvation to them in a decipherable, obvious way. May we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. For your glory's sake, amen.